Welcome to Barrels and Burbs with hosts John Ingle and Roberto Cabrera. Over the next hour, you're going to learn some insider knowledge that will help you overcome and strategize in the cutthroat world of real estate. Now, here are your hosts, John and Roberto. Welcome, everybody. Burrs and Burbs, number 127, leap year. This only happens once every four years. We figure it was a pretty special date, so we were looking for a very special guest, and we found him. CEO of Douglas Elliman, Scott Durkin. We're going to ask him all the hard questions about our industry. We're going to find out where where we are, where we're going, all this controversy. You know, we're going to ask him the hard questions. But first, I want to introduce our sponsor right here, Grace Farms. Now, Scott, Roberto, if you don't know about Grace Farms, you really should come up here and check it out. 80 acres in New Canaan, Connecticut. It's about one hour outside of New York City. And they have the world-famous Pritzker Prize-winning river building that you see on the screen there. And they host forums and conferences for uh, world-class organizations. This weekend, look at this, check this out. They're doing a conference on modernism, and it's a documentary on Elliot Noyes, one of the Harvard Five mid-century modern architects who was working in New Canaan. And Elliot Noyes is famous for doing uh, a great deal of mid-century modern industrial design, not just architecture. Anyway, they're celebrating him this weekend. I have tickets. I hope to see both of you there. Join me. So with that, I'd like to start by talking about our guest, Scott Durkin. Here you see him on the screen. This is his official PR photograph, but I wasn't going to just stop there. I found some other pictures. So wait, let's see. And I got to move this down on the screen. Yep, there we go. I found the photo when he was named CEO. Here it is in the real deal at the desk of Scott Durkin. And they interviewed him on dressage riding, buying fictional floor plans and giving up modern dance. Then I found his most recent interview uh, with Real Talk on on the show, Real Talk with his friend, um, uh, Steve Cohen in New York. He's been featured on Power Lunch recently. And he's on Leaders New York City. And I found an interview with uh, on your strategic leadership. And I guess with that, I'm going to... Can I just say something? Can I say something? You know, yeah. I have, uh, throughout my career, I've heard Scott Durkin, Scott Durkin, Scott Durkin. And everybody says, oh, and they don't just go like, oh, Scott's a good guy. They go, oh, Scott, do you know Scott? And I was like, I don't know Scott. So I'm very excited to learn about the man behind the myth. Right. I mean, I just showed you all of his press clippings. But do we really know Scott Durkin? And do we really know what he's all about? And we could either go in the, you know, give him a, a, a lob and talk about dressage and we could talk about, you know, fictional floor plans or we could really get into the I'm hoping to get into the nitty gritty of real estate in New York and the expansion of Douglas Elliman into all of these other uh, <laughs> territories over the last four years. It's been an unprecedented streak of expansionism. So maybe we'll start with that. Scott Durkin. Hey, 
Very, welcome. very happy to have you on the show. It's so great to be here. Wow. I wonder when I would be on your show. <laughs> it took us four years to extend the, the invites, but, but boy, we're going to make it worthwhile now. So great. Where are you now? Where am I? I just came from the um, west coast of Florida, from Sarasota, to now I'm in West Palm Beach. And you have an office, a new office in Sarasota, don't you? We do. We absolutely do on Main Street. We are opening it on April 29th. So, yeah, we're super excited. It's a great town. And what are you doing? Picking out drapes? Are you inspecting the troops? What's going on in Sarasota this week? Well, this week, today and tomorrow, I actually took two days off. And I, I, I went to fetch my best friend of almost 92 years to bring her over to the east coast of Florida for some fun. So I'm actually uh, just do, taking two vacays today and tomorrow. First time right. this year. Well, Let's that's awful nice of right. you to interrupt that time to be with us. Oh, you guys are fun. It. This is great. All right. So I want to, I'm going to start with a screen and I'm going to show Elliman regions. Now, I think when you arrived four years ago, was it four years ago, took eight. the, took the range. How many years? Well, I, eight. Uh, almost eight. Yeah. Okay. How many regions were you in when you began at Element? Uh, well, let's see. Um, it would be New York, California, uh -huh. California, Connecticut, and Florida. Okay. And now look, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. 12 of them are on the screen now. And you're expanding in, in places like Florida with new offices, it feels like, every quarter. So right. can you talk about the expansion and really the strategy behind? Because some of, the, some of our competitors have decided to be everywhere. Some of them have decided to be really to focus on just the East Coast. Mm -hmm. um, why? But this is neither everywhere and ne nor just the East Coast. So what goes into this expansion strategy? Well, I, th I think it makes sense when you when we tell you how we do it. Um, we follow our clients. So if a client has a home in Houston and then needs a home in Naples or a ski house in Aspen, we are generally there for them. At, whether it be the agent in Houston that's referring them to the other two markets. So we follow the client. Our, you know, our national average price is 1.6 million. And we make sure that that's something that we can sustain and we can find the right, the right cities that match up to the other cities where they may be owning homes. So the average ultra high net worth individual has between three and five homes. And so we like to be in all of those neighborhoods that um, makes sense to us and that without I mean it's really not a science you look up on the boards in the airports and see where they've what direct flights are arriving here and and you can really pretty much figure out what what you need to do and and you can almost track them in terms of how they migrate you know Florida Hamptons Hamptons New York New York Miami Palm Beach to LA you know they they move around so what's your str the strategy of establishing a foothold in one of those places? You decide, hey, I'm going to be in Austin. Do you go and you scout out Austin and you find a franchise of some sort that's already established and you 
try to partner with or buy them out and then begin at that point? How does that go? How does that happen? That sounds like the right thing. And that's what we used to do. That's what I did when I worked at Realogy and anywhere. Um, did you know I worked anywhere? Um, <laughs> it's a funny name, isn't it? Uh, but we would buy the whole company. We would integrate it into the the present one. And if we didn't have one, we'd open up that company and change the flag the next week or the next ta- six months or a year. But now it's you don't require that because... 90%, 10% of the salespeople now sell 90% of the the listings out there. It used to be 80-20. used to be 20% uh, of the salespeople sold 80%. It's very tight now. So you don't need to buy the whole company because many times you're buying over half of the company is not productive. So now we sort of search out the best solo agents and the best teams that might be leading the market. And we start there. And I have to say, uh, it's, we're happy to, to note that many times where we've opened, they've, they've approached us. So they've planted the seed first. And that's always a nice thing because you, there's nothing better than people wanting you and coming to you and seeing if it's right uh, for, for your market or for your region. So if I have a successful franchise in Chicago and I see you at the airport, I better talk to my top people. <laughs> it happened. Funny you said that. Chicago called one day and I picked up and they couldn't believe that I had picked up my own phone. Um, the deal didn't end up working out, but um, it, it, it may work out in the future. But yeah, they, that's exactly that's exactly how it happens. So uh, there's uh, uh, DC. We exist. Sorry, we exist in DC because one of the Founders of DC saw me speak at Inman, Las Vegas. So, so. you've got there's probably uh, on your whiteboard markets that you'd like to be in, but and uh, opportunities out there, but you're just waiting for the right people to launch those markets. I mean, I'm looking at Sally Daly there on the screen, and and I have to say, okay, so why Vero Beach? You know, I mean, well, they've got a direct flight into New York, and that's one of the places that New Yorkers want to be. But you don't move into Vero Beach unless you have an A-plus partner there to launch, right? There we found Sally. Um, You're right. And Vero made a lot of sense to us because many of our agents that are New York quag, Quag Vero Beach, and Quag can use. Um, I always say Ulster. I, I never get the airport right. It's the airport near. Um, oh boy, it's in Long Island, and I'm drawing a blank. But it's that airport in MacArthur, and they can get to Florida from MacArthur. And um, so, yes, it made complete sense to us to to find and, and many agents. Uh, from uh, our firm and other firms do uh, come into Vero Beach. And I know Mary Beth Adelson from Douglas Elliman, she's she's got a place there and, and her parents and her family in Vero Beach. So that became uh, a nice northern piece from Jupiter to Vero and the in between there. So that made complete sense for us. And And so where do you where does it end in florida i mean everybody is talking about florida florida is the highest spot of real estate growth luxury growth in the country uh we're going to talk about all your new development projects in miami and up and down the east coast of florida in a moment but 
Where does it end? Do you end up in Orlando? Do you end up in Tallahassee one day? Or do you say, no, 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 no. You know, I really just need to be in the best cities, the creme de la creme. We're a luxury brand. We really don't need to be everywhere in Florida. You know, I think you're right. I, um, for instance, we just opened up in 30A. Now, a lot of people don't know where that is. Um, it's up near Destin. It's, it's that panhandle area. It's a, it's beachfront, and it's absolutely stunning. The most beautiful beach and water you've ever seen. Homes that are from 3 to $20 million. Um, and none of us had really heard of that until we were approached by them. And it made sense because the price point was really high. The, the client was a client we know could be a client from Texas or a client from Massachusetts. You know, they they come from everywhere. So we, we thought it was a smart thing to do. Will we be opening in Orlando? I don't know, Jacksonville maybe. We did Pontre Vedra, which is, you know, wet east of there and north of Bureau. Uh, we are, as we I told you, Sarasota. We have St. Pete. Um, yeah, who knows? Florida is the hottest spot we've ever had, the entire state, and it's run by my great colleague Jay Parker and his team. And uh, I think it being a low-tax state and uh, uh, the weather being pretty great all year round except for the hurricane season, yeah, it makes complete sense. And and um, we've never had uh, – we never thought Florida would be this way. I remember when I first came to the company, Florida was – just chugging along, you know, it didn't, didn't have all of the new development that we have now. And we have billions of new development in, in Florida from Miami all the way up the coast and over to Naples and, and Sarasota now. So it's, it's to be, to be continued. And I think John, it, it has a lot of potential. I just drove across, I think my drive was an hour across sugarcane fields we did we did a show last week in West Palm Beach. It was probably my favorite show in four years. And we coincidentally, we showed a picture of sugarcane fields and we asked uh, Randy and um, we said, how long before these sugarcane fields get plowed over and um, Stephen Ross builds a 25 story tower on those? <laughs> and they laughed and they said, oh, ha, ha, those sugarcane fields are they're They're a bit further out of town. We're really only building, you know, within, I don't know, five miles of Flagler. But I think <laughs> it's coming. Right. I mean, it sure. didn't seem like there was anything to check the ambition, the current ambition in West Palm Beach. When they take out billboards in Times Square uh, saying, come on down to Wall Street South, you know that they are firing on all eight cylinders and they mean business and they are they are. Yeah, they're on fire up those fields. Yeah, and they can build much faster here. Uh, the building codes are different. The requirements for the actual construction of the building. I mean, they really only have one season, <laughs> right? Right. Warm. And uh, although when it does get cold down here, you get cold. Like a, a 50 degree day, you feel inside your home, you feel a little bit cooler than what we're feeling now up there in New York, but it's okay. It's, it's, it's pretty much guaranteed great weather. Scott, with regards to the expansion, is it, essential to have a brick and mortar office like for example john mentioned orlando you know I, and and you think about the the way we conduct business i rarely ever have my clients in my office they're rarely coming into my office and everything is virtual i mean could you have 
a presence in Orlando and some of these secondary and, you know, you know, Knoxville, Tennessee, things like that, and not necessarily have to go through the expense of having a brick and mortar like location. Is that essential? I don't think so at all. And I think sometimes it looks wasteful. And um, when it's when it's a big piece of retail space in, in, a, in a village or a town and it's empty, you, you begin to think, why is it there? For us, I, though, I, I know, for instance, we have we have presence in Ocala, which is the second horse capital of the country right now. And Stephen Somel, who's one of uh, a, a champion jumper rider, who's an agent at Douglas Elliman, he, you know, he's doing business from there and we do not have boots on the ground there yet. So it's completely possible. We have a division within Elliman called Elliman Everywhere. So as long as you're licensed in the state you're in, we will help you do business in that state without the requirements of, of a manager or a branch or, you know, a, a bricks and mortar. And, it, and it's, you know, the world is digital. We saw that happen while we were home during the pandemic. What happened to our business? When's the last time we've been to a closing? It's, it's, they're, they're now done completely without us. And um, we're able to do things that we do well and, and get out there and do other things. But yeah, we, we can be anywhere at any time. And so that's, I think one of the beauties of having our company, having our online training, having the availability of all the management, but not having to be in front of you, because like you said, most of the time you're not in front of us. Yeah. Talk to talk about how the company is organized, because you just talked about Jay Parker. And what I'm wondering is, what is the connectedness of New York City with a hundred year reputation where the brand was built and each of these regions, Texas, uh, Florida, California, Aspen, each so different with some connectivity to New York. They're mm. the places that New Yorkers also go. So or are is there a relatively high degree of autonomy uh, in the marketing, in the PR and the approach to uh, the, the real estate market in each of these regions? You, you hit the nail on the head about, especially about Florida, for instance. When you go to Florida, you run into everyone from New York, right? Uh, it's just like running into people in the Hamptons during the summer. Uh, but now it's a full-time place for people for second, third, or fourth home. And many are residents here now, obviously, to take advantage of the, the tax savings. So that I think that... Um, that makes sense there. And, and Texas, Texas does not have a strong relationship, for instance, to New York, but it, it, I think it does to California. And I, I think they, they each say hello to each other in a way that um, is pretty special. And um, I, I just think there's a, a lot of the same thing. Uh, I remember one of our, a, a top agent when I was growing up with Barbara Corcoran, once someone said to me, well, what's the difference between a $500,000 home and a $5 million home? And the agent who was very experienced, she said, a zero, you know, <laughs> and, but I, th and she, she said something that stuck with me that money follows money. And uh, don't ever forget that. And, you know, you just, uh, what happens within the management of our company is that we all have had sales careers, which is important. 
And if you if you've had that and you've done that, you know what you all go through every single day and you know how important it is to get you the answer you need or to get you something you need in terms of how to market your business or do a deal or or make something, you know, stick and, and go to contract. So we've been there already. So we have the, the that special sort of bond between you knowing that it's so important for us to have this happen quickly. We also um, are constantly in contact with each other at the high level of the regions. And we often can finish each other's sentences, and we have a special, you know, special bond there as well. So, I think you've got to love this business because if you don't, it's not an easy business. I think, and I'm in my thirty second year, thirty third year. It's the hard. This is the hardest. You starting to get the hang of it, Scott? Yeah, I think I got it, but I don't know. This is super, super hard. This, this is the hardest I've ever seen it. All right. I want to I want to pick up on one thing you said about this as a career, as a sales career and it, about it getting harder. Uh, it also occurs to me that it's getting harder. I think that when my mother joined the business and I'll just pick on her back in 1983, she said, you know, OK, I like this area. I think I can sell real estate because I'm a people person and I like the product. And now to ask her uh, to be to go take training in negotiation skills, go take technology training. Uh, Mom, I, I need you to get out there and put yourself out there on social media. I mean, <laughs> and, and the list goes on. And Mom, I, I, we, we're going to need to order a Matterport for your next vi- you know, video. I mean, <laughs> I think that the business has never been accelerating faster than it is now. And the expectations of an agent have never been higher. So can you talk about just exactly how difficult it is and is it enough to be a salesman? Well, it's it's so difficult that um, it's interesting, John, that I can I'll, I can look at you through this lens right now and see you and see your your signature bow tie um, and see the background of your life. I can see your whole aesthetic. I love everything you guys stand for, and I would want to do business with you. I think a lot of people forget that, that when you come into this industry, I know that it's it's really great to have really fabulous clothes and look super sexy and built up and hot, but you don't forget where your focus should be. And like you bring in wonderful pieces to your business, like you bring in um, the architecture, you bring in the environment, you bring in the location. It's, for you, it's all centered around the piece of real estate. It's not centered around you or your ego. And I think that's super important that people often forget, like they put themselves first and the listing second or, or the lack of the listing second. If you're super green, you've got to be with someone who isn't. I think it's better to, to have part of something than nothing of nothing, you know? Um, so I think right now if you're coming into the market as a new agent you've got to have some signature something that sets you apart from the rest i think if you're sort of burnt out and you don't know how to restart yourself if you've had a fabulous career then start talking about it you know change your wardrobe change your hair do something if you're not on social media i'm sorry to say you're going to be last in line 
There's no question. There's a little bit of ego there with John, just so you know. Just a little. I'm okay with that. You can tell. I mean, we all use, we all reference him in terms of, of the, you know, his wonderful great car. What I hear you saying, though, is, you know, some of your competitors, some of the major firms have led with technology. They said, this is a technology-centric business, and we have the best. And uh, it's not just one of, of the major firms is leading with technology. And, and and it's caused a lot of agents to say, well, wait a minute, what's my place in an industry dominated by technology where the information is available to all my customers? They all know the complete history of every property and the price per foot and price per assessment is all laid out, laid out to the public. What's my place? And so what I hear you saying is it's not just a technology, not just a transactional business, that there's still a place for relationship selling. Really? And then yeah. it's not independent of who's selling it. It's not just about the product and the product is not a commodity. Right. I and mean, you can't, you can't think that you're, for instance, um, it's what you do with the technology that's important. You know, TikTok's pretty phenomenal, but it's what the content you put on TikTok that's going to make it worth your while and worth the seller's while or make you look like you know what you're doing with your business or whatever it is. The technology is an engine in many ways, but what you put into it is in terms of content and how you sell your own self, your own business, your own listings, uh, and how you educate the public and how likable you are. Likeability is enormous. Sorry, it is. And um, you can't, you just have to sort of curate your own life, your own business life. And obviously, a lot of your personal life in terms of what you like, in terms of art and furniture and, and uh, the, uh, the environment and, and all of these things, people will, will certainly love what you love. And, and I think you'll want those people because you have a lot of the same things that you like about each other without realizing it. And then it helps with you getting them to stay with you. And it's the stickiness, you know, you want people to continually go back to what you're posting. And, and we do that with you all. And we know that and we use you as examples of how well it's done. And um, you can't do it sort of one or, you know, I don't want to be a TikTok star. I want to be a realtor. I just want to be there with my did. customer and yep. his house or her house. Yep. I don't want to spend most of my time thinking about how to present myself on social right. media. I have to tell you that it bums me out the expectation that I have to be at, put myself out there uh, on a daily basis and feed the algorithm when it all I, when I signed up for this business. It was to sell houses. But you know what's great about you, though? I mean, your background was in technology. So you know, you know exactly how to use it. And I don't think you're, 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 you're stroking your own ego. I think of you as selling high-end real estate first. And the, everything else comes second. And even your signature look, you know, I don't think, I think you're doing a great job. Well, thanks. I'm heavily is, edited, is, as you know. So. But, so, but this is interesting, actually, because, John, you mentioned you, we're talking about realtors and what it used to be. It used to be a very siloed. This is what you do. Now, the breadth of what you have to do is so much. And, John, you have a team where you're not big on you don't love doing showings. 
You love going to get the business. So you send someone else out to do the showings, although you should. I remember calling you once and you were like, these people aren't here yet and I got a deadline. I got to go. You were so disgruntled that you were on a showing. <laughs> but but so oh, I, now yeah. so let's talk about teams because you can with all the different nuance that it, the job takes, you can have people that are your showers. You can have people that are your negotiators, people that are, you know, whatever the, the roles might be, admin, et cetera. So, do you, are, Scott, are you – teams never used to exist, and people used to fight them, and companies used to fight them and everything. And now it seems like almost if you're not part of a team, you can't – it's either you can't compete – or, or it's just something different. It's less personal. There's another person who is part of a big team uh, at Brown Harris Stevens. And we were speaking to him. He hasn't done a showing in eight years. Wow. Eight years. I was stunned. And I told him, I say, that's one of the things that I think I bring to my sellers. When I go on a, you know, if I am in a negotiation, I understand the conversation that happened in the bedroom and in the kitchen with regards to all the different aspects of everything that happened. And that helps me in my negotiation. So can you talk to us a little bit about the dynamic of do you, are you super pro team in general or just for some or just give us talk to us about that a little bit? Well, let me just say, for instance, the late Robbie Brown, who many of us knew, I remember that Robbie, um, when we worked together at Corcoran, um, he had a he had a client who who fired him because. He said, I saw you at the pitch, but I never saw you again. And that stuck with me. And I think that, so for instance, John, if I saw all, all of your, your um, social, your videos and everything you do, and I went to see one of your listings and it, you, didn't, you weren't there, I, I would be really let down. <laughs> and I think um, that happens a lot where you've got, uh, huge teams or big teams and they've got a lot of listings to service just think of the the, the odds of getting that that person are, are lower because they have so much more volume um, but then you can be a solo act and say to the seller I will never call someone else to find out what the buyer thought of your listing because I will be showing them no one else will show this listing but myself and I am yours from the beginning to the end, and I have a track record to prove it. And I'm not handing it off to anyone else because, per, for instance, there may be a certain way of showing it. It may have certain provenance. It may, you know, be something that only you know about, or that your specialty is, or you're, you know, you studied this in school in mid-century architecture, whatever it is that uh, you can't just call that stuff in. So I think there's a way to get around it if you feel like you're threatened by the big teams. But yes, they can't be everywhere. The one person cannot be everywhere if they've got 25 or 35 listings. But eight years without showing? Wow. <laughs> Is John, can I make a comment? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think there's, hi, Scott, I think hi. there's a, a bunch of ways to do this business successfully. And big teams work for some people, but we say we're a small team. So to Scott's point, I had somebody give me a review the other day, and we did a great job getting their house sold. And she said, when we interviewed other agents, they were Debbie Downers about the house and your enthusiasm. And she used the word evangelizing of the property was the X factor. But if you farm that out, you lose that. 
And then when I'm at the showings, to Scott's point, I can hear that wasn't our buyer, that was our buyer. Now three people have said the kitchen not being opened up is really a problem. We either need to take that wall down really fast or adjust price to comp for it, et cetera. So I think there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. We personally say not how, but who. And I try to pick people that are good at what I'm not. So I farm out my social. And I do videos like you do, but it's just like you want to still be in the game. You got to lead follower get out of the way I'm horrified the way I look I just do it I don't care you know but you're brilliant at it John but it's just part of how the business goes but I think there are a bunch of different approaches but I think don't underestimate passion over technology yeah we should not be getting nervous that AI and uh, and technology is going to take over our business. I I think, you know, here's my two cents. Yes, it's happening at a fast clip, but let's let's see where it goes when it gets completely poisoned in a way where the what's coming back to us may not be what we're expecting and it it could turn into something very different than what we're thinking. Not evil, but certainly something that um other people will take advantage of in terms of how it's delivered and and there's there's a lot of of people right now that are against it a lot of countries and and, you know and you can't make it go away but um i think it's going to take a different form and i would not myself i guess i'm old school and i'm in aries i wouldn't rely on it at all (laughs) you know I think it it really gets to the uh, one of the controversial points of our business right now. It's winding its way through the courts, and I'll just you know leave it at that. Which is a real question as to what value do we provide, and how do we get paid you know to provide that value? I mean, that's a big question right now. They're saying you know well. If we can just put all these listings up on up on the internet, um, you know, why, why are the commissions what they are? And I think realtors are really trying to are struggling to sort of defend our value proposition. And I think it's causing a lot of people to leave the business. They said we peaked two years ago, and a lot of people are leaving the business, A, because the business is softening and there's not enough listings. But also, I think a lot of people are getting discouraged. Should they be? Should they? Is the future of this business uh, discouraging? I think the path is is not it, it's not discouraging, but it, you, you can't. Um, it's not a. This isn't something that you can do quickly. You can learn quickly. You know, right now, if you've got a buyer and you have a buyer's agent and you have they may be interested in your listing as a listing agent, you really want that buyer's agent to knock it out of the park. They've never been so important than now, and the fact that they're being questioned and perhaps pushed aside. Uh, by this AI crap, uh, you know, you can't, 25 years ago, we thought we were being taken, uh, we were the, being taken, our place is being taken by, you know, the internet, didn't happen. Um, I think this is a, a long shot, especially in the market we're in, and I think it would help, it would hurt property values everywhere, especially in the luxury market, if you had people just uh, trolling on the internet for listings and just walking into a seller and an agent and not not being qualified, not not expecting to get 
your full price because buyers generally offer much lower offers when they don't have an agent. They don't believe in the value. There's so many factors here that could just collapse. Uh, the buyer's agent now is, is going to be, I think, the star of the show when it comes to getting these listings sold as well as when you've got a tough inventory uh, and you've got people that want these listings and you've got off-market and quiet whisper listings, pocket listings, uh, you you really need a trained professional. And I think they will shine in the next couple of years more than ever. I think it's what drew my mother into the business. She said, I like helping people find the right house for them. And I think she really preferred the buying agent side of the business. I think that some of the best evidence we have that technology is not enough is the fact that Zillow got into the business with Zestimates. That was their first major win. And they had so much confidence in the technology to pick houses, to pick houses, that they started buying houses based on the technology's recommendation and with the technology's recommended price. And they lost a lot of money. And if you look at their track record, they'll say even now that they only get it right in New Canaan, Connecticut, 50% of the time do they get the price right within 10%. So um, they even admit that they don't know how to price a house as well as an agent in that community. Mm-hmm. And when I went to Greenwich, and it was early in the business, and I asked the guy who's teaching me the business, I said, we're on North Street in Greenwich. Why is this house worth so much more th- than that house? And he said, well, that's on the high side of the street. And that's on the low side of the street. I said, are you kidding me? These two houses are next to each other. Does it matter so much? And he right. said, John, of course, it's everything. And I thought, yeah, I don't know that a, a computer is going to know what Tom was teaching me that day. So I think you're right. I think that there's a great deal for uh, a value provided by the buyer's agent. And um, I think AI's got its place, but I don't think AI can make a video as well as I can about my next list. I I don't think there's any chance that technology is going to replace. I mean, I think it's going to replace some of the systems and some of the processes that have to happen. But the touch and feel of taking someone in and dealing with them and showing them and explaining to them and making them feel comfortable and giving them text context and history of, you know, and also what the context of the seller is, what their circumstances are, which could be incredibly unique or the buyer um, and what flexibility there is in financing that people can offer. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a myriad of things that there's no chance that a computer could or, uh, you know, AI could replace. I just don't see that ever happening. I agree. John, can I ask a question? Go ahead. Scott, I wonder your thoughts about the whole idea, and everybody here, about real estate without borders uh, in, in the sense of this business model where teams that say do well in New York are seeing migration into Miami. So they're saying let's open up and have a presence there or we're in LA, but let's open up and have a presence in Austin. Do you think long-term that's a viable model or 
I mean, how can somebody that really knows New York and all the nuances of it really know the same level of nuanced info in Palm Beach? I guess unless they get locals. I mean, do you think that's a flash in the pan kind of expansion model that's not going to prove over the test of time? Or do you think it's going to continue to be real estate without borders and we're going to service our clients no matter where they are? Well, well, Sally, I think it works best when they do partner up with the local agent mm-hmm. because when you when you sort of parachute in and think that you can do it without the help of them, it's a hard lift. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's not, you know, it doesn't work well uh, because you don't have the historical data and the, and the, the, the um, anecdotal life of the market. And you're just sort of, yeah, I, saw, I found these. Let's see them. Um, and I think that's, that's important to, to, to decide. And also, you know, what really has, has fueled a lot of this is the buyer, the agent's buyer has tended to start the process of saying, Hey, can you help me in Miami? Can you mm-hmm. help me in LA? Can you help me in the Hamptons? Mm-hmm. And so they planted that seed with the agent. And as you know, we've become sort of the, the, uh, family office advisor now as opposed to just a transactional real estate agent. So I think that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I encourage, and I know that my colleagues do, Don Langdon, Jay Parker, Howard, Lorber, all of us, we want you to be successful. We don't want you to just try to put a flag up and not have anyone down there that's local and, and, you know, refer it, but you can still have your name on it. But if you think you can run back and forth fly back and forth and that's hard to do yeah yeah. and it's a little bit you know it's not perceived as being too too smart and i think it's always best to collaborate i think that that you know i've been very curious about that as well the emergence of these super teams that are in many states um, I used to think that was the role of Element or Brown Harris Stevens or, or Compass. And so now we're starting to see teams act very independent of their of their parent agencies. And uh, so I, I'm also curious, do you think that's going to continue? Well, I think if you get too big and you, you lose sort of control of your growth and you also if 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 everyone in the team is just doing one or two deals a year, then it's hard to make a living. And I think I always say it's another mouth to feed, right? I think you have to have a master plan. And I'm not sure how I would feel about getting much bigger when there's such an inventory crunch. I would think about tightening up and, and uh, Sally, you said something about, you know, I'm not that big or we're not this big, but we've got real quality and um, we have people that have have the track record, and uh, I think that's super important. Big doesn't necessarily does not necessarily mean what it it, it 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 sounds like it means. I think it, it's you need to be very careful in a market like this. There's a lot of movement happening because a lot of people have had a tough 18 months, and um, some of them have had zero business. You mean from firm to firm? Uh, well, anyone that's in the business now, no matter where you are, I think it's been, you know, there's some that have had the best years of their lives because this is the kind of market that they really thrive in. But for the most part, I think a lot of people are really happy we're going in this direction now, but they really have had a a bad, you know, a slow time. 
Yeah. Let's talk about international. Rarely does a market report uh, come out that doesn't now talk about the foreign buyer and what's the foreign buyer doing and where are the Chinese and what happened to the Russians. When we, uh, Roberto and I have done a show recently with a couple of shows with Knight Frank. Uh, we did one in France. We said, who's buying in France? Oh, it's very funny. They said right after the election. <clears throat> Every four years, the Americans turn on like a light switch. Right after the election, all the half of America is disappointed in who they elected, and they all kind of come over to France and start looking around. And I was like, "Wow!" Uh, they, so they said the Russians were buyers. Now the now they're out, and the French are buying. And so, um, talk about the international market. Talk to me uh, for a moment about the Knight Frank partnership. Uh, I think it's a very interesting strategy that you chose to partner with one of the dominant brands uh, in the international market, whereas some of your competitors have decided to go over there organically or create a, uh, you know. So talk to me about the decision behind the Knight Frank partnership. What does it bring you and how important is the international buyer? Well, I think originally the international affiliation or the perception that the firm in the States had an international presence. It happened with the auction houses and, you know, Christie Sotheby's and, um, but for the most part, it didn't deliver a lot because it was maybe a, a, a couple of brochures in, in the entryway of the auction houses, wherever you went. Uh, but with Knight Frank, uh, we've known them for a long time. I knew them when I was at Corcoran and, uh, they are sort of the best of the best. And this contract that we did with them, this, this affiliation, is exclusive. So anything that comes to the U.S. from Knight Frank comes to us. And anything we send outside of the U.S. goes to Knight Frank. And, um, and right after the election, we're going to send them a whole bunch of unhappy Americans. <laughs> well, it depends on who's happy. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things. I think when we had the golden ticket program in, in Portugal and, and now uh, what it, the, the uh, Douglas Elliman Knight Frank Wealth Report said that New Zealand was the hot place to buy right now. Uh, I think, you know, we'll always have those places and we'll always have somewhere to go if they're really mad, <laughs> but somewhere really nice. And I think it's given our, our agents, and I know, John, you guys have been uh, uh, been on the trips, and uh, it really exists. It's not something that's just there to go on paper inside your pitch package. We have those relationships. We have we can have at a moment's notice, they can come on a, a large pitch or something important that is important to us or you. And they really exist and they really are part of the fabric of the company and, and part of the, um, of what we are so excited about at Douglas Elliman. So, are we just checking a box or is it a significant part of the business? It's a, is it a growing part. Significant and growing. Um, I think, you know, it's funny, we've been waiting for the international buyer to come back into the market here. And of course, now the, the Russians are having their issues and, and the, the Chinese were having um, issues with having, getting money out. Um, but I think uh, we've had so many people within our own country flooding the market. We didn't have room for them anyway. You know, it's not like we lost out on anything. And then we've had on the, in the opposite direction, the, the Euro has been, the dollar has been so strong that people have made that, that plunge of 
of uh, buying something uh, in Europe or, or across the pond. And uh, I think that's wonderful because they used to avoid it so much because it would take so long to get something to be closed and be yours. And you know, I have a friend in Italy who bought a hotel. It took nine years for them to close on it. They ran the hotel, but it took nine years to close. So I think that's, that's you know, that's certainly that it. That poor broker. I know, right? It's <laughs> not in a million, but I think now that like people that are, are fed up um, will will find something, and you can find great value outside of the U.S., um, especially in Europe. I think it's personally important to you because you put out a newsletter on the educating me and all the other brokers. Was it weekly? Uh, every- Monthly. Yeah. Monthly. Okay. It feels like weekly sometimes. Right, I'm right. getting a report yeah. on what exactly is going on in London from Scott Durkin. And I'm like, okay, like I need to know this. And I think that's, you know, you've taught me that I, I better pay attention to the foreign market. Well, the foreign market looks, you know, they've got a, they've got a side eye on New York. And once New York even blinks or, or sneezes, they start moving. And um, and again, of course, New York is always in the top three of the the growth cities or the top cities of the world. And I think that um, it's very important to know what uh, you know. The market in London has been stagnant for so many months and maybe over a year, and and now it's really starting to move. And um, you know, that's that's great because you, if you've been through these cycles before, you know that these are all the right things that are supposed to be happening. We're the last to, to go down. We're the first to recover. And um, so we're, we're feeling that, especially in New York. I think you did CNBC yesterday and right. teased the market report. Um, but, you know, it's not out yet. So you talk about like this New Zealand is as household knowledge. But I think um I think you're privy to some secrets in the market report that the rest of us haven't seen yet. Do you want to, do you want to drop any more bombs? Uh, on strawberries, strawberries and lamb. <laughs> strawberries and lamb? I think that's what New Zealand's famous for, isn't it? <laughs> but is New Zealand the new hot luxury property market? That's what they said, yeah. And believe it or not. And it's interesting because New Zealand is somewhat uh, remote, if, if, you know, unless you're going to <laughs> yeah. Australia a lot, right? <laughs> Um, but you get a lot more uh, land and a lot more of what we call the vistas and the, and the wonderful mountains and um, lifestyle and, and, and sports and, and hiking and fishing and swimming and all and everything you can imagine. It is a very safe country. Politically, it's very calm uh, in terms of its political activity. Is that a trend we can draw out of this year's report that we're going to start to see a flight to safety that, I mean, what are the rich? One thing I saw you write was 25% of the ultra rich are in the mar- in the real estate market to buy a house this year. That mm. surprised me. Yeah. New Zealand surprised me. But do you, do you then read the tea leaves and say, you know, the trend is in uncertain times to go to safe places and put the money in safe, safe real estate places? Yes. Well, that could be someone's trend. But if I was in the market now, I would say, hmm, 
Let me go out and look in San Francisco because let's let's face it, San Francisco is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Do you think this is going to go on much longer? I I don't. But I tell you this, the best time to find real estate would be now because they've ne there's never a break in San Francisco real estate prices. You know that it's it's always ahead of every other city in the country and sometimes in the world. So I think um, I would look at it differently and say, well, let me see what's happening and what's not. Where's the bad news? Is there is there an opportunity there? Because and, and this is a, a time. Um, so I'm 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 of the of the opposite of that, you know. But I think New Zealand is also expensive. So it's ten percent higher cost of living in New Zealand than in the U.S. And um, is it more expensive than Australia? Yes. Yeah, Australia is very expensive. Where is New York City in the in the cycle now? Is it a bargain? Is it uh, is it is it in the trough rising? Where is New York City? Because Roberto, I, I ask him every week, and uh, yeah. but I want your perspective. Well, I have I saw it already. So it's 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 Miami, New York, and Los Angeles. But so. is New York expensive right now, or do you think it's a bargain? It's down just a few percentage points. So, um, you know, we haven't seen it down in a few years. But uh, I think if you have a great agent who knows how to navigate the market, you can get something really nice. And if you're ready to stomach the application of, of buying in a co-op, you can get something even nicer. And, um, and the deals are in the co-ops right now. Yeah. I agree. Right? There's just I agree. We have at Douglas Elliman, we have sixty-four apartments on Park Avenue on, that are wow. on listings. So we're the number one agency with Park Avenue listings. But that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. That is a lot. So where's the great value play? What neighborhoods in New York should I be looking at if I want if, if I just have a lot of money and uh, I want a great value play if I'm a nervous buyer? If I was looking, I would look for a co-op in the West Village. I would look co-op on Central Park West, uh, Park Avenue, Fifth Avenue. We just put on the um, Elliot Irwin apartment at 88 Central Park West, and it sold in a few days. And I toured that with Ann Cupbill. <clears throat> And uh, what a historical masterpiece, but needing a full renovation. And that was the one where Snoopy, that famous photograph of Snoopy going by the children on the window seat. Um, that's a great apartment. I sold the 11th floor. That's the ninth floor. Did you? That's a great yeah. apartment. Wow. What, what an amazing. Uh, but I think those are, are, are sort of the trophy, the trophy apartments right now. Um, I'm not one for ultra high floors, so I would be, if I was a buyer, I'd be in the pre-war buildings. But I think you can almost look anywhere now if you're, if you're up for a co-op and you're up for that sort of application and the board interview. Uh, but if you want the new things with the bow on the box already and never lived in, we've got, we've got a lot of that and really great stuff. So we got, we're down to our last minute or so. I'll leave the final question to Roberto, but I'd like you to start thinking uh, you know, give us your predictions in the last minute that we have. 
Well, I think rates will continue to play with us, but I think they're coming down where we want them. And let's not forget it's an election year. So there's a lot of activity and there's a lot of uncertainty, but I think um, we've got a pent up demand. We've got lack of inventory. So I think if we can keep moving in the right direction, that, that people will decide to do something. Sellers that will now be able to sell because they didn't, they didn't know where they could go now because of the lack of, of um, uh, uh, the uncertainty and the interest rates and, and the other markets. But really, I think the big word of 24 will be inventory. And we need more inventory. That's it. That's good. I think that will move the market more than the interest rates. Over 50% of our deals are cash. So there you are. I agree. I, I think that you have one year to buy in a fair market. After that, it's going to be absolutely insane. Scott, thank you so much. Thank you both. Thank it's you. It's such all. a pleasure you, to Sally. meet you and everything. So thank you. This Same is here. Okay. I'm very I'm bullish on the market. I'm bullish on Element. I'm bullish on your strategy. And which is uh, both expanding and connectedness of all the parts. Very exciting time to be you, Scott. Oh, it's you too. I'm so glad we're together. Thank you. Me too. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Burrows and Burbs. We hope we've given you some strategies you can apply in your own real estate journey. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week. Thank you.